0: Welcome to Therapists Uncensored, a podcast where therapists freely speak their minds about real life matters.
1: Hi, today's episode is on the basics of the relational brain. This episode is going to provide you with a foundation to future episodes. And if you listen closely, um, it can, it's going to really directly impact how you understand what's happening both inside you and you know in close relationships around you, so Sue Marriott's going to start off with an introduction, and then we'll move into a three-way discussion with myself Ann Kelly and our other co-host Patty Allwell.
0: Hey there, we are so happy that you have found Therapist Uncensored podcasts and that you're giving us a listen. So welcome aboard. Today's episode, I'm going to be speaking with my co-hosts Patty and Ann, about the idea of building security in ourselves and building secure relationships. The fact is, not everyone has been fortunate enough to start off with a general, basic, organized level of security. And some of us have gotten the short end of the stick, actually, a little bit, and come preloaded with um, not as much security as other people. So the good news is, no matter where you start, everybody has security within them and the capacity for it. And we are going to break it down so that you understand what parts of the mind are operating in this positive place and how we can turn those on and cool off some of the problem areas so that we build security no matter where you begin. So we're very excited. It's actually part of why we even started this podcast is to get the material out as widely to the world as possible and also to connect listeners to more information about it. So we'll have show notes and resources and all kinds of things if you like what you're hearing here. Okay, so the first thing, the foundational thing that we're going to need to know is a little bit about the mind. So we're not going to go into tons of stuff about neurons and glial cells and things like that. But, I, but we do want to know there's three specific structures that really affect our sense of well-being. And the more that we understand them, the more that we're going to have control and um, insight and awareness and have a greater capacity to manage ourselves and even like you might be doing okay, but maybe your partner is having trouble So if you can kind of visualize what's happening in their mind, you're going to, it's really going to empower you to help them out and to help them get back into the secure place. So the, this episode is going to be particularly about those structures of the mind that you need to know, which are three things, the prefrontal cortex, the hippocampus, and the amygdala. Okay, now let's decode this and pull this apart about why you need to know these structures, what they are and what they do. The prefrontal cortex is where we want to begin because that's where we are going. That's where we want to end up. So that's the most important part, and that's where we're going to be focusing on, you know, how do we keep ourselves connected as much as possible. So if you imagine looking down at a a brain, the top part that you most typically think of when you think of a brain is the cortex. The front of the cortex, so the front half of the part that you can see is the frontal cortex, and then the front half of that, so just imagine your forehead, is the prefrontal cortex. That is where if, if our lights are on all the way up there, then we're going to be in our best self. We're going to be acting like adults <laughs> and being able to be flexible and adaptive and um, keep other people in mind as we're speaking and care that how we're coming across and really be able to kind of get a sense of what's going on in the mind of other people. So that's the gold. That's where we want to be. Um, Just to be super specific, just for any of you science folks out there, right in the middle of your forehead, and if you imagine a heart between your eyes, right in the middle of your forehead, that is the orbifrontal cortex. That's really the gold. So um, if you're using any visualizations or anything, that's what we want to be. Those neurons we want to be firing as much as possible. Now, um, why don't we just hang out there, right? (laughs) Like, that's a good place to be, so why aren't we there all the time? Well, we're going to talk um, about that. You know, from baby to adulthood. Um, Well, we've got other characters on the scene. And the other characters, so that's the highest part. Um, If you drop down, there's a middle part of the brain called the limbic system. And some people think of it as like the mammalian system. It's where... Threat—it's—it's basically where you assess—are you safe or not safe? Is there danger? And so, kind of, if you imagine like a fox with his um, family near a den, and a new fox pops up, you know, they alert; their ears are alert, and they check it out, and they're going, "Is this a friend or a foe?" And they're communicating quite um, fluidly with each other about, "Is this guy coming to hurt somebody, or is this just a friendly fox?" So there's a lot of emotional communication that's happening, but it's at the level of mammal. It's not that higher part of the brain, right? So I said, there's the prefrontal cortex and the limbic system. Within the limbic system, there's another interesting structure called the hippocampus. And people don't talk a ton about it, but it's going to be really important in building this theory about what works in relationships. Because the hippocampus is what Modulates memory, particularly memory that we, where we know we're remembering, and where we just tell story, where we can tell stories about ourselves. So autobiographical memory. Autobiographical memory. That's right. And later, we'll go into more about this um, related to, you know, um, long-term memory and how emotion is stored. It's really quite interesting. But the the more that we can remember our past and our future then when something happens in the moment, we're going to be able to, to stay more connected to our higher part of our mind. So the hippocampus sort of regulates um, you know, past, current, future. Like, almost think of grappling hooks you know, that go backwards and forwards. And if we can keep that part active, we're going to be less likely to do the third piece, which is to drop down into the amygdala, and, which is a really interesting uh, almond-shaped structure that's lower down. Uh, so think of it, it's um, more primitive, it's kind of more Fred Blundstone. Um, and what I, the best way to think of this is, this is your real fight-flight-freeze. And that's the thing, scanning, for is everything okay. So if you think about a home alarm system, or um, I personally like to think of it like a friendly Rottweiler. <laughs> um, because I, I was raised with Rottweilers, actually. <laughs> and they look really scary, but they're actually big teddy bears. So, um, but they are good at fending off danger. And so if you think of it as your guard dog, um, so your amygdala is your guard dog, and um, which is great when there's actually a threat, right? And one of the things about the amygdala that's interesting too is that it's, it on purpose exaggerates things, particularly related to threat, which is why that when we get activated in our amygdala and and it shoots out all this cortisol and norepinephrine and adrenaline. adrenaline, it's getting us activated to take care of ourselves. Um, so particularly when that threat response is going, guess what happens to our prefrontal cortex? I'm guessing it goes offline. <laughs> exactly. It gets a little bit flooded. It gets drowned out. It's not as important, according to our um, biology, as this threat system. Because it's got to handle the saber-toothed tiger first before we can think about freedom and morality, right?
1: Actually, what you're saying, I agree, it's, it's not only not as important, it's actually an interrupter. If you have a saber-toothed tiger coming at you right. and you stop to pontificate about whether this is a <laughs> nice one or a threatening one, exactly. that in and of itself could lead to extinction. So intentionally, our survival mechanism is to disconnect that any of that frontal cortex at the time of it we perceive threat.
2: Yeah, I like to think of it as speed. So we have a very sophisticated prefrontal cortex that is very good at rational thought, but it's a slow system. Yep. When you drop down to the limbic system, this is fast. This is how you get out of the way when a car is coming at you. It's how you run from the cyber, saber-toothed tiger. This is the part that's really designed to protect your life. And that's then exactly. the amygdala
1: is the hyperspeed, hyperdrive.
2: That's right, and when that's going,
0: it affects our perception. So if we are feeling some level of threat, if the guard dog is err, Then any little thing, um, it, like it, it's not good at discerning what's actually threat or how threatening it is. It's again, the Fred Flintstone, it's very primitive. So that summarizes, let's go over it again, prefrontal cortex, the hippocampus, which does what?
2: Long-term autobiographical memory. Very
0: good. And short-term autobiography. And then the last one is the amygdala, which is what? That's the Rottweiler. Get the hell out of here response. (laughs) Or, I'm going to get in your face response. Get in your face or run into the bed (laughs) It's anxiety. Really, the summary is it's anxiety or anger.
1: Okay, now that we've covered the specific relational brain structures, we're going to move on to how this affects us in our everyday lives. In this half of the F episode, we're going to discuss how the deepening of our understanding of our relational brain can actually change the way that we engage both with ourselves, our relationships, and deepen our understanding and compassion and intimacy. So
0: the problem with that, and this is all goes back to how, so what about the brain, but it's how it affects relationships. If my If I'm in a low-grade threat response, I think of it almost like, Riding on the accelerator just a little bit, where I'm a little revved up, then um, Jaws music is playing in my mind. And so, my perception of what's happening, let's say the door slams, I'm going to think, What the heck? Like, why'd you slam that?" you know, it's going to, I'm going to be more activated. Versus if I'm, the activation is low and I'm in my prefrontal mind and my lights are all the way up to the top of my mind and the same door blows shut. You know, partner comes in, door blows shut. Um, I mean, see, I just said it. Like, the door slams. Well, my perception is going to be, oh, the wind must have caught it. Or, oh my gosh, what's wrong? You must have had a, you know, like, it really, my interpretation of events is affected.
2: And your ability to stay connected to your partner. Totally. Is there when you're up in the, in the higher Part of your brain as opposed to when you're down in your limbic system. That's exactly right. When we're up high, we can
0: say, huh, it may have been this, it may have been that. You know, she's not texting me back. It could be this, it could be that. Um, You know, I'm able to get in the other person's shoes and have lots of possibilities. Huh, maybe this, maybe that. Once I'm activated and the limbic system is online, sort of uh, the Rottweilers, then um, I just know that, like, like whatever is already in there is what I'm going to be thinking. It's kind of like my ghosts come out. So, uh, abandonment, um, you know,
2: my interpretation will be really different. Right, and historically, if you've grown up in a very... uh... Volatile family, and somebody slams the door today. Right, you're right back in your family of origin. That's right. But what's really interesting about that is you don't know it because
0: right. you're not remembering your family of origin. You're attributing your threat response to the person in front of you, which gets a little. That's not a great thing to do. <laughs> I found out. <laughs>
2: <laughs> How'd you find that out,
0: Sue? <laughs> oh, many, many examples. But um, and then related to relationships. Um, we're, we're wanting to grow security so that I stay in my prefrontal cortex as much as possible and I help my partner stay in her prefrontal cortex as much as possible um, sort of drawing out the best the best of us so next time your uh, partner's really upset with you just think you know it's not me it's her amygdala <laughs> <Or> <laughs> it's, it's his amygdala it's his rottweilers and, and going crazy really great
1: ideas to tell them that at the moment. <laughs> okay i'm that, getting on that don't take that advice it, that,
0: that hasn't gone so well for you <laughs> it, it reminds
1: me it reminds me that this likens back to a previous podcast that we discussed that knowing uh, the, the part about knowing your partner's language of love is very very important and we often talk about that and what makes someone feel loved, but as I mentioned in a previous podcast, knowing your partner's language of security. This is exactly what we're talking about. The more you can know their language of their history and what actually feels like an alarm bell to them, but what often happens is because their alarm bell is so different than ours that we actually get angry with them or frustrated and keep telling them, don't have that as an alarm bell, but that doesn't work because what y'all are bringing up is such an important point. All of our amygdalas are, are, are shaped way before the relationship right? and developed in what is an alarm for us, we just can't tell ourselves. Getting back to our original point, there's the hijacking. We can't just tell ourselves, oh, that's not a threat right. because our bodies responded so quickly and without our frontal cortex and it is a threat no matter how much our brain tells us it's not or how much we try to tell ourselves.
2: Yeah, and one important thing I think we need to keep in mind as we talk about the brain is that History isn't destiny. A lot of the new research Very is fun. about yeah, Absolutely. is about brain plasticity. Well that's what's so exciting about this why I want to get it out to the public. Go and ahead. what brain plasticity means is that if we practice new behaviors, we can actually change the structure of our brain. So yes, how we were formed in our families and we carry those patterns, but playing with new patterns actually changes our brain. And I think that's the most hopeful part about all this um, really exciting work that people are doing in neurobiology and relational science. I totally agree, I'm so glad you said that, it's awesome. And, um, and just you
0: know, to, to make good on our promise to make this usable, um, you know, I mentioned the thing about see it, don't take it personally, see it as your partner's dysregulation um, because one of the things that happens is, like, if I get approached harshly, then guess what my Rottweiler is going to do, right? It's it's going to want to defend me? So once that happens, my perception begins to narrow, and I begin to think of black, right? The other thing it does in that system is it um, we get into this moral, um, this morality and ethics. So it's like innocent and guilty and um black and white black and white i'm feeling this so it must be true like i'm remember i've lost contact with the top of my brain so i can't go well it could be that or it could be that that's not where i am i'm you know uh my feelings are hurt so therefore you must have meant to hurt my feelings i am not a part of that i'm innocent and you're guilty that's part of what the limbic system activation does so if we can know i i can't um like when i'm activated like there's no ch- because because i've lost my prefrontal cortex um i'm really gonna believe those things so that even just talking about it and knowing it it doesn't necessarily immediately help but here's the thing if i can know some of my cues that i'm in my limbic reaction that my rottweiler's going at least then see notice that if oh i'm cuing to um I'm not feeling any vulnerability. I feel totally justified. I feel righteous. If I can begin to like have almost like it when you're skiing, you know, there's like warning flags, right? If I can have a few warning flags of what my personal limbic reactions particularly look like or what my automatic thoughts are when I'm activated, it won't stop those thoughts, but it's beginning to paddle towards the top of the mind because like you're that's an observing part. So we're in better shape to know, huh, I'm not sure that I'm assessing this correctly than just... But, but still feeling really mad, you know, but like, okay, I think this is an overreaction. I'm still going to be overreacting, but it's, again, you can, you, you can feel like me even having the awareness that it is an overreaction is already turning those lights on where we want to go. And with space and by pausing and by going slower um will be able to because you talked about time because the limbic is so fast it needs time so that's a good time to take a walk to get outside to slow Do down your breathing. breathing we want the alpha wave you know we want the slow wave to be happening to it's it's literally giving time for the prefrontal to come back online and it takes it takes time because it's slow it's the newest kid on the block so
1: well, it, it, it comes back to when we have you know, relationships are probably the most common way that we can experience both the highest threat yes. and the highest security. That's so true. And so because they happen, and that's totally in, related. <laughs> totally related because they happen in the same element. It's really confusing because when our most secure object then becomes our most threatened object, it is a threatening object.
2: And threatening when you say object, security. what do you mean, Anne?
1: When, when the person in our life that we count on the most to be the most secure, loving person, our partner, or our object, becomes then the most threatening one. Because if the person that's supposed to secure now doesn't understand me and is coming at me and feels very threatening, it's very common for us to com- get completely dysregulated and upset. That's why we save our worst selves sometimes for our partners. Because they are the ones that can scare us and threaten us the most. And how difficult that is. And so one of the things you just said, get it practical. I love suggesting Sometimes I need to do that when I'm in conflict. The walk is an amazing thing. And I love to suggest what I call a two-sided walk. If you are really dysregulated, upset at your partner, high threat, and you, like Sue, you mentioned, could see all your own signs of it, the first sign you're in threat is self-righteousness. Because the reason we get angry, number one, we'll talk later, because it feels good. It's releasing all sorts of chemicals in our brain that makes us feel safer, yeah. safer and powerful when we're in threat. And we get, we get very self-righteous. Energized. It's energized. <laughs> and then and then it's hard to stop that because yeah. why do we want to calm down? And feel all
0: vulnerable. The word. Yeah, no. Screw that. We don't want to get vulnerable. We want to stay powerful. So we don't have particularly a lot of, if the threat system is even tiny bit activated.
1: That's a good point. So we don't want to come down. You know. The,
2: Are you saying it's fun to be the Rottweiler? I think
1: sometimes <laughs> when you're barking to like, let the how, Rottweiler go.
2: <laughs>
1: yes,
0: but this also explains why that after in a fight or after a fight, if your partner comes back to you in the kind, soft way. Um, that you still might have your arms crossed and be like, oh, whatever. <laughs> um, right. And be not, even though we do want security, if we still have low-grade activation, um, we're not very good at being soothed, we think, oh, well, yeah, you're feeling guilty. That's why you're doing that.
1: Well, and, you know? and truthfully, on, on an unconscious level, we don't want to be soothed. So that's why you we When our threat is activated. When our threat is activated and our partner comes back, which is an important thing to do... Yeah. But when you're, when you're coming back to try to soothe and your partner doesn't immediately receive it, instead stays angry, it's an easy part to then get, get angry again yourself. Mm-hmm. But to understand once we're really activated and angry, there's a certain part of us that doesn't want to come down mm-hmm. and we need a little time. Time. And, right. and to finish my, my point about the self-righteous walk. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. Oh, what that's I, right, the two-sided the walk. The
1: two-sided walk. What I, what I suggest, is if you're really, really, take that walk, and you walk as far as you need in your neighborhood, in the first half of it, you get to be self-righteous. <laughs> you get to be right. You get to be a victim. You get to be all of those things that make you powerful and angry. And you can walk until you are tired of walking and tired and ready to turn back. But once you turn back, you have to let go of the self-righteous and go, Okay. I'm going to turn back and I'm going to, at least on the way back, think about what my partner's threatened about. What is my partner?
0: What is their language of security? What is their
1: language of security? And if I can't get there, they keep walking. And at some point, we're going to want to turn around.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That's lovely. That's a sweet Yeah, and I think it gets visual. back to the, brain, to the brain plasticity. What I mean by that is having a different experience. Yeah. we mm-hmm. our brains were formed by a set of experiences and if we keep repeating the same patterns we're going to keep having the same experience and if that's a negative experience we're going to keep having that negative experience in our relationships but when we ha- start to have new experiences they're one they feel better but two they're actually changing our brain that's right and mm-hmm. so you know when you start you may you may actually have a new experience once and then you fall back to the old. But, you know, you keep practicing and it's not an all or nothing thing. It's a slow process of having a new experience.
0: Yeah, it makes me think about the, you know, we, when we think of neural connections, that the ones that are really practiced are like the super highways. They're real fast and they're real easy and we don't have to think. Um, anything, you know, or even sometimes I think of like a groove and if anything be, comes even near it, I'm going to put it in that groove, meaning, you know, whatever that is, including security, including like, oh, you meant the best. Um, but let's say when it's more problematic um, and say we feel abandoned frequently or we have it, there's, a, there's that groove, um, that trying the new behavior that you're talking about, like, okay, I'm really upset with you, Patty, but I'm going to come and talk to you about it. Which isn't what my groove says to do. My groove says to say, "Screw this! I'm out of here." But my new thing that I want to do is try to come talk to you. So the freeway is going to take me away, but there's these little country roads (laughs) where I have to like pull the map out and turn it right side up and figure it out to be able to come back to you and 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 create the new neural connection. And of course, you know, like you said, the first couple of times it's not going to be. It's going to be awkward and take a long time and. Um, but if we practice and practice and practice that, then we're going to get a little trail going yeah. in, our, in our brain, and it's going to be much easier. And then we're also practicing knowing what the, groove, the bad groove is that we don't want to do. And so as, it, as we sort of map it a little better, notice even the mapping is from, our pre, from the top of our brain. So that means we're more up there. Right. But I really like what you're saying about the plasticity and the hope because this is a very, very hopeful message around the more that you can understand about what's going on biologically, in yourself, and in people close to you. We've talked a lot about partners, but this applies to children, any, co-workers. Co- any close relationships, coworkers, children, parents, um, therapists. <laughs> um, and uh, so we'll be talking more about particularly about attachment and, and our family histories and how that affects relationships in fut- future podcasts. Go ahead,
2: Patty. You, you start to say, the more you practice this, and I think the end of the sentence is, the more choices you have. That's right. You don't have to always go back to your pattern. You that's can right. create new, more positive patterns. That's exactly right. You
1: can, and actually one of the things that we've talked about that's also important to take from this is the step is understanding first. Yep. Because if we don't have awareness of our own threats, or our partners, or our children's... If we don't have some level of awareness, we stay in a reactive mode. That's right. Which gets back to the point of the whole conversation today, and that is why we want to understand the brain and understand these connections, because that insight can really, really help us navigate different patterns and not be just a reactor.
0: That's right. We want awareness. That's exactly right. Um, And then compassion. Right. Self and other. That's right. Like, I just got really mad and shut down. And as I notice that, then what I want to have happen is to come in with, like, oh, wow, you must have really, that was a powerful, um, Mm -hmm. this is really important to you, Sue, instead of saying, oh, God, you did it again. It's, you know, the more that we can be aware and then care about what's happening, because remember, what activates the Rottweiler is threat, so what calms the Rottweiler down is signs of safety. So like you said earlier, it's not verbal, it's a soft face, it's like I'm touching my hand to my chest right now. It's physical, and so if we can begin to do that for ourselves first, that's going to cool it off, and then it'll be much easier to access that towards other people. Right to stop
2: the hijacking that to we stop started the hijacking. With. Mm-hmm.
0: So to stop the hijacking, we've got to first be aware of it and understand it, and then care. You know, activate our care network and nurturing
2: to, to kind of grow ourselves back up. Right. And then to have the option of making new choices. That's right. Because basically, it isn't when you're not being hijacked, you have choices. That's right. It's all about choices. Choices are good. I don't
0: have to come to you and talk to you if I don't want to, (laughs) but I can. I have a choice. (laughs) I have a choice. I have a choice to stay in (laughs) here. That is is, uh, not Fred Flintstone anymore. That's like higher order, you know, Simpsons or whatever.
1: Thanks for joining us on this episode of Therapist Uncensored. If you know somebody who might be or should be interested in learning more about themselves and their relationships, please share this freely. You can find us on therapistuncensored.com. Thanks for joining us.
0: Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly, Patty Alwell, and Sue Marriott. Cameron Lindsay edits the show.